Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties Too. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know, because I care about people who care about cats and dogs. The human-animal bond is what this show is all about, finding authors and experts to talk about cats, dogs, and the many other creatures who share our world. This is listener-supported WLIW-FM, Long Island's only NPR station in Southampton, serving Eastern Long Island and Southern Connecticut over the air at 88.3 and at 96.9 in Western Suffolk. This is where I originated this show and have never missed a week for 14 years. At RadioPetLady.com, there's a podcast library with more than 750 episodes along with my other Pet Talk podcast shows. Dog Talk is a production of Pet Media, Inc., which is solely responsible for its content. This show is made possible with the support of Dr. Elsie's Precious Cat, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian in Colorado, where he created a variety of litters as well as inventing clean protein cat foods based on the protein found in cats' natural prey. This show is also brought to you by Waruva, the Foreman family-owned pet food company named after their rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa, where all their recipes and cans and pouches are human edible because they're made in a human food facility. My guests today are Alexandra Horowitz, who has taken a break from writing her wonderful books about dogs to start a Freakonomics podcast called Off Leash. Dalma Hine will be here. She's a pet grief psychologist. And Iris Berrios, from Bobby and the Strays, we'll talk about what has changed in sheltering since 1998 when they began. So here's something really fabulous for the July 4th weekend through the summer and well beyond. Alexandra Horowitz, who to many of us who love dogs and are immersed in the dog world is kind of a goddess on a pedestal. She runs the the dog cognition lab at Barnard, but she also has written a bunch of books that we all love and you all that listen, obviously, know who she is and you know her books. But I guess you don't know that she's now got a podcast on Freakonomics Radio called Off Leash. And it's amazing. Maybe I'm the last person to the Freakonomics party. I probably am. I didn't even know what Freakonomics was. It was Alexandra that brought me there. And it is an immersive experience. Alexandra, I don't know how you found time with all that you do in your personal and business life to set aside time to do this podcast every week. I mean, there's one, two, three, four, six of them now, but maybe seven by the time this is on the air. How do you find time for it? Oh, I had a team of people working with me. Well, that was clear. That was clear. There were other people (laughs) producing it, but you still had to be the thought leader and the idea creator and make the connections with the people that you interview, right? Yeah. Well, as you know, it it from your own, you know, prolific work, it it does take a huge amount of time. And this we didn't do these once a week. You know, this these six took uh, time off and on for about a year. Wow. But it was a labor of love, I have to say. Right. It is. It was a lot, a lot of work. Um, And 
great fun to have these conversations and interviews. I loved doing it, but um, we'll, we'll see how many more I'll have the bandwidth to do. Well, it's really great you did these because what I love about it is it takes the world of dogs that you are so knowledgeable about and so curious about, and it expands it in a kind of ripple out effect into many other aspects of life and our IQ and our knowledge and our understanding of the world, like the one on genes sort of comes to mind about DNA tests. And it just, you, mm-hmm. you bring all these different people into it in having the conversation, this brilliant genomics expert, but then many other ideas come about. Is that how you think already, but you have to keep on the straight and narrow of dogs in the dog cognition lab and in your writing? Or does your <laughs> mind go kind of elsewhere, like kites that take off? Well, first of all, thank you so much for um, those kind words about the show, Tracy. It's That's wonderful. Really it's I'm- really wonderful. I mean, maybe even more wonderful than you know, because you were you know, you're at the eye of the storm. It's really terrific. That's great. Thank you. Uh, I, I, I do think like that, you know, I mean, dogs are always at the center of my mind, but it's how dogs connect with us. Mm -hmm. Um, that, that is part of my thinking all the time. I mean, dogs don't exist in isolation from us. They are sort of have been historically shaped by us. They shape us. So, the ways that they let us see ourselves better, I think, is always in the front of my mind. And also, I think that's how people form a connection to dogs, right, by analogy to themselves. And so um, and sometimes erroneously. That's what I was going to say, yeah, often mistakenly. Yeah. Right? right. But it is certainly the way that we, I think, start to form a connection with other animals is by – um, sort of extending ourselves into that place. And then once we're interested, then we can learn more about the animal or the individual or, or the place. And so I think, you know, they're always, all of my writing has a little bit of um, extension from dogs, right? If I'm yes. interested in learning more about smelling, it's it's me also, myself, right. you know, kneeling right. on the ground, mm-hmm. learning about That's smelling true. because... Uh, we can talk about kind of the olfactory apparatus of dogs until the cows come home, but that's not going to get people in that headspace, right? It right. might just make them abstractly impressed. And that's not my interest. My interest is a kind of empathetic, you know, full-bodied approach. And so this was the podcast is just a nice way to do that, you know, in another medium, exploring a new way of sort of storytelling and using science. And using time. very others, other very smart people to join in conversations with you. And some of them surprising because when I saw some of the names, I thought, oh, Alexandra, you don't need to bring in celebrities. You are one in my life, in my <laughs> world. But then the ones you brought in were absolutely wonderful. Like Isabella Rossellini, who at one point was a friend mm-hmm. of mine, only not now a friend because our lives have gone in different directions. But it's, it was the episode on names. And I thought, why does Alexandra mm-hmm. have to take a walk with Isabella Rossellini to talk about, you know, animals and dogs and names and how do they know them? It's fabulous. She's on this farm and the chickens and, and you're walking <laughs> with the chickens and you're listening to the chickens talk to each other. And she talks about her two mutts and how one of them has trained her and she can't train the other one, but she hasn't really tried in that typically Italian way. How did you pick her 
to go on this ideology about names and do dogs know their names and the nicknames of dogs. It's a great episode. How did you pick her? I, I love that episode, too. We did not actually, for that episode, we didn't um, think of the topic ahead of time. We wow. let a conversation happen knowing that she's, you know, fascinating and also fascinated by animals in yes. various ways. And she has her master's in animal behavior and conservation. So she has, you know, she wears many hats and she does these great video series about sex lives of animals, which is just to die for funny. And so we basically just had a long conversation and then listened to it, uh, the, my producers and I, and thought, oh, what's I see. the thing that could come out of that? And the thing that I, that, you know, that is already a topic or that I think I know there's some science behind that we could dig deeper on. And names was what we found, sort of language, use of our language in some ways, thinking about language and, and, and interspecies language understanding or lack of understanding. And so then that also allowed me to then dig deeper by going and talking to Amritha. Amritha yes. Mahler Karshan about her research on the cocktail party effect and both of our experience, you know, with the names of dogs who come into our labs. So that's my ideal setup for a show actually is that you just have a walk with yes. somebody interesting and yes. dogs and, and things happen, you know, so conversations cool. happen. And then you can dive deeper with a, a more specific interview on, on one of those topics. And that's, and that's, so this was the perfect instance of that model. It was, it was. And I, and you know, how rude of me to think only of Isabella as an actress, because I did see, I, I, it was a long time ago that she started the video series, and then I forgot to keep looking at it. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know she'd gotten a graduate degree. I mean, that's pretty mm -hmm. impressive. And yet when she talked about her chickens, she talked about them like a woman who loves what were 12 and became 150 chickens. And, you know, <laughs> you talk about, well, I don't know that if I had five dogs that looked exactly alike, could I really tell them apart and give them different names? <laughs> it's 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 a wonderful it's a wonderful way to let the IQ or one's intelligence just sort of wander. I, I have had friends throughout my life that I've gone on dog walks with uh, regularly. Let's take the dogs on the walk that we often go on. Yeah. We never discuss any of the intelligent things you do. I mean, I talked about, you know, bargains at TJ Maxx or, you know, recipes for really good cornbread. So sad. So sad to waste a brain. But it now makes me realize that a walk with dogs could be a really fertile ground to talk about things that, that ripple out from the things that we see in front of us. And that is really what you do. When I asked you, is that the way you think? Of course, it's the way you think. I think it's why your mm. books are so successful. They're, they're not just read by people who want to know how their dog's olfactory senses work. It's a way of seeing the whole world through your prism, through your lens, mm. which is, That's you know, exactly what right. do dogs tell yeah. us? I, I The other thing that struck me in listening was that because you're a researcher and a thought provoker or leader, I guess is a way of putting it, or an idea creator, you don't sort of question if someone is saying something that strikes you, possibly strikes you, certainly strikes me, it's like, wait a minute. You don't say, wait a minute, like I do, and not hold someone's feet to the fire, but say, what? You say, oh, that's interesting. Tell me more. For example, in Strays. So you mm. you interview Elizabeth Lowe, who I had interviewed because uh, 
of her movie Strays and because I had the Dog Film Festival. And that movie mm-hmm. wasn't appropriate for it because it was too long. But she holds a very strong position, which a, a small handful of people do. Mark Beckoff has written about it recently. Are strays really better off than owned dogs who are prisoners of our uh, entrapped lives? You know, they, all they get is mm-hmm. good food, good veterinary care, way too much affection. I'm making that up, way too much affection. But affection <laughs> that may not mean as much to them as the chance to be in a pack or smell stuff. And she talked at one point, which she did when I interviewed, but also in the movie, oh, yeah, these stray packs, they're really, they're having a grand old time and life is way better for them. And and in the film, she shows a chihuahua, I think, wearing a sweater on a leash, all oh, the poor thing. He's been, right. you know, ruined by people. And she sort of laughingly said, oh, yes, the packs of dogs in the park. And then people come in with their dogs on a leash. And, you know, it's really the park dogs park. And I thought, you know, Alexandra, how would you have felt when you had your baby in a bungee on, you know, on your chest? And I forget which dog, Finn, or one of your dogs that I met you with at the time. And mm-hmm. you're trying to go for a walk. And now you have a second kid and a second dog and a pack of stray dogs sets upon you. I, you, I, you it was funny because I wanted to say to her, hang on, there, you know, this has to be put in the context of the human world. But that really wasn't the point of that conversation. Or you didn't see that as something to be considered, I don't think. Did you? You know, we're always taking the human perspective. So I'm always interested in a perespective that. Uh, foregrounds the dogs. And that doesn't mean to the deficit of humans, right? right? But Mm -hmm. I I think that's the first thing we take. So when she says that, and when I talk to Sarah Marshall Pashini, who who studied strays, I wanted to explore just their experience of that Mm -hmm. population. Mm -hmm. And, And what Elizabeth does really well is try to take their point of view. And it's not all, you know, glory and laughter and joy for the stray dogs. I think she does make that somewhat clear. But at the same time, she highlights something which we definitely think about. I mean, you you mention it a little jokingly, but the sort of captivity, like the control over domesticated animals that we have is to their benefit, to be sure, and also in some ways deprives them of things. And I, I like exploring that. I like it. I like... I like hearing about things which surprise me. When I mm-hmm. started, when I first lived with a dog as a child, growing up in a family that had a dog, the thing is just handed to you. Like, this is the way the world works. Right, you right. have dogs, mm-hmm. you have them on a leash. At the time, we had like a little pen outside, which didn't seem nice, but like that's what people right. kept their dogs that's in right. when they went outside. Mm-hmm. So that was just the way it was. And to see all of my assumptions about the way it is or all of our as a society's assumptions about the way it is broken down and examined through, you know, research that I've done and others have done through just looking more carefully through trying to investigate like their way of seeing the world. to even thinking about how dogs got here with us and what the best way would be going forward for dogs. I, those things are important to me to, to not just assume we know and and have the one answer, but say it's more complicated than that. Even for, even for and with um, this kind of familiar and ubiquitous animal dogs. 
Great answer. I must say, I teed that up for you on purpose. I actually totally agree with your point of view. <laughs> I totally agree Great. with it. And I, I knew that you would say all kinds of very good, eloquent things about it. Yeah. I was playing devil's <laughs> advocate. It's, it's it's certainly true. Who was the woman, I, I want to say it was Elizabeth Marshall, who wrote a book which seemed shocking at the time decades ago yeah. about letting her dogs yeah. out in a pack at night and seeing what they did. And we sort of middle class, you know, types were like, what do you mean? They could get run over. They could eat a bad yeah. piece of meat. They could get in a fight. And she was one of the very first people to just as a personal citizen science experiment say, what would dogs' lives be like? And and I think that that really is a lot of what you do in Off Leash is to look at the ways that we have assumptions and presumptions and we know a little bit, but it doesn't really take us to how much we know. Your your interview with Soledad O'Brien on jeans totally surprised me. I was thinking, Soledad O'Brien, I'm pretty sure I know who that is, but not exactly, but why is she here? And your conversation mm-hmm. with her about her heritage and her multiple, um, you know, different ethnicities in her heritage and how she embraced that and DNA tests and what they mean about a purebred dog and is there any border collie in that border collie? It was great. It really put everything in a much larger Context And I don't know if that's what Freakonomics does generally as a brand or as a platform, but you sure have taken it and run with it in, in these episodes of Off Leash. They're full of surprises. They're 20, 28 minutes long each. And it feels like sitting with somebody at a dinner party and just and like eavesdropping on some great conversations. I guess that's really what I love most about it. That's what it felt like to me. And I just want to thank you to for inviting us all to your dinner parties and being your dinner <laughs> companion, because that's what it felt like. You're, you're welcome anytime. It's, that's great to hear, Tracy. Thanks so much for it, listening and just re- your reflections on it. I really appreciate it. Well, I, I'm sorry that it took a whole year, but on the other hand, I'm sure you did it in fits and starts. And, and they also edited in like yeah. in the Heroes one that you did with Susan Orlean, Um Great footage, like audio footage of Rintintin and Lassie. And it's like, wow, this is so produced. This is so polished. This is so not just, you know, two people sitting on an orange crate chatting. It brings the whole world in an audio sense into your, into your, into our world. So thank you. Thank you for everything, the good things that the Freakonomics people for bringing you there and for making these shows so great. And I hope you'll be able to carve out another year and do a few more because they really are delicious. That's great to hear. Thank All right, you, so you much, guys Tracy. can find Off Leash Alexander Horowitz's wonderful Freakonomic show on all those streaming platforms. But you also can go to Freakonomics Radio, which I did, and sign up for it. And there it is. And then they send you other Freakonomic shows that make you feel either very smart or very stupid, depending on the topic. But it's good <laughs> fun anyway. Thank you, Alexandra. <laughs> All the best. This show is brought to you in part by Merrick Pet Care, which began as a family-run company in Texas 30 years ago, where they are still making natural pet food. They also provide nutrition to pet shelters in Chicago and Texas and to the service dogs for veterans from Canines for Warriors. This show is also supported by Cradle, calming products to reduce stress for dogs using broad-spectrum CBD from U.S.-grown hemp formulated with a proprietary blend of nutraceutical ingredients. I am so interested in meeting a friend of a friend. 
She was a psychotherapist, still is, and decided one fine day to become a pet grief counselor. And I thought, wow, how is that transition different? How is grief about losing a pet different than the grief and angst and anguish and neuroses that people have in everyday life? Delma Hine, thank you for coming to the show. Thank you for having this career. It's not really a career change. It's a shift. You've added on another layer to how you help people, I guess, is the way of looking at it. Yes. And and also, for years, I've written books about people whose feelings are not acceptable to the culture at large. Interesting. So here we have mm-hmm. The segue is really an easy one for me. I was talking to women who felt things that they were not allowed to say say about their marriages. They were happily married, but they had these feelings that they didn't feel like themselves anymore. Where do you where do you talk about that? So, in a sense, disenfranchised uh, voices is is my is what I do. And pet grief, unlike regular grief, is disenfranchised. It's it's the sorrow that you feel over the death of a cat or a, or your beloved dog is marginalized by a culture that minimizes not only the experience but belittles the object so mm-hmm. it's get a new cat you know get you wouldn't say have another baby but people say you know get another get over it so disenfranchised grief is not just grief suffered alone because the culture derides it or doesn't quite believe the depth and pain of it, but but grief that we ourselves don't quite believe. So people will come and be completely blown away that they feel so bereaved. They yes. didn't know it. And they, and and they, so and they, they, they didn't have anyone who had ever articulated their no. own grief about that. So... I imagine it made them feel even more alone and maybe more weird. What's wrong with me? Why am I having these intense feelings? Someone needs to make me better. This must mean there's something wrong with me instead of this is a celebration of a profound love. That's right. And it's a kind of self-disenfranchise, which is when we internalize the message from others and think, why am I so distraught? Why am I more upset than when my father died? Why is the death of my dog so devastating that I can't move? What's the matter with me? Can anyone help me? You know, it's that profound. And because it's disenfranchised and because they're kind of paralyzed and they don't get days off from work, you know, it's not as if we honor this humongous loss. So my first job is to assess whether there is this shame attached to the grief of my client you know is someone saying get on with it is someone saying you know get a new one and then there's euthanasia that's often involved and did did everyone in the family approve of that decision did the you know did this good death that euthanasia means go as planned was it as good a death so there's you know there's 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 a lot more pain i think in a way, with pet death than with an, with a sanctified death. That's a, that's a really good word, sanctified. I'm thinking of the Jewish culture, which has, to me, a, an interesting idea, very different from, let's say, I don't know, all kinds of cultures where someone's supposed to be a widow for a year and wear widow's blacks for a year. 
But the Jewish culture yes. is seven days of sitting Shiva. Is that right? Seven days, I think. Yes. So the person dies and everybody comes over with food. So that's like other cultures, be it a wake or a funeral. And then for seven days, you stay and people come and comfort you. And you yes. and you you have this intense grieving period where you're surrounded by everyone who loves you and loved the person who died or, you know, fakes it. And then you are right. supposed to get on with it. So just as a kind of an odd segue, well, I, what do you think about seven days being enough? Let's say with a pet, no days I, is allowed. I don't, I don't think anything is enough. I mean, right. I, I think we are a culture that denies denies us grief. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, mm-hmm. we give lip service to it. You get a year. But boy, after that year, it's like, I mean, people are coming to me and saying, so are you ready to go out? You know, I was married for 30 years. No, I'm not. I, be- my, I haven't finished grieving. I'm better. But so pet grief, which is not even honored in this way, is, um, is devastating for people. And nobody is there saying, I get it. You know, most people are saying, um, you know, I know you loved Muffy, but, but, you know, so deeply that you can't function. And part of not being able to function is what a shock it is to find out that you can't, that you you loved this Mm -hmm. that much. Because you know you loved, I mean, you fed it, you walked it, you adored it, he's adorable. But you're not aware, really, of the extent to which you adored this creature. And so it's an emotional roller coaster, I think, more for pet owners than than well i can't say more it really depends but right. you know there are there are studies that show that um I, the new york times did a piece that said that 40 percent of wives get more emotional support from their pets and from their spouses when i tell people that they laugh and they go yeah right you know but that's an amazing figure well, you know, it's it's interesting because it's a disturbing one. And, and for anyone listening who thinks, oh, God, I could really use a shrink to help me through this, or my uncle could, or my mother, Dalma Hine's yeah. name is spelled D-A-L-M-A-H-E-Y-N, and you can go to DalmaHine.com, and she does remote and in-person in Fairfield County um, counseling, which I think is a, is a huge value to people. But this issue of, and it's the question I wanted to ask you, you're obviously a very smart human shrink, and you've been paying attention to people with repressed feelings or unexplored ones or unacceptable ones for your entire professional life. I'm wondering whether when people are experiencing this love that they think they're getting from their pet, I deeply believe it is the only place for some people or the largest place for some people to show love. I think that part of this bond is that we kind of think, well, this dog loves me so much and that's my loss. No, it's that you were allowed to show that's this right. completely unfettered love. You could hug, kiss, say sweet things, think sweet things, and never be told anything that made you feel bad about feeling all that love. And that husband that's of those right. 40% was like, doesn't have time for it, is annoyed, is having an affair. His work is more interesting than you. Your work is more interesting than his work. He's jealous. Whatever can happen in you know relationships love is a scary thing to express because you're vulnerable and you put yourself out on a limb. Yeah. Yeah, And it's not unconditional with people. That's right. Nothing is. 
And here's this, here's this creature that loves everyone in your family, that loves you. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter how big your thighs are. You, you know, this is a creature that it, and the loss of that, that steady, loving, um, unconditional greeting every second that you come back from anything is, is a terrible loss and a shocking one. I think, you know, I, I, I have clients who say, I, I can't believe I'm walking in and she's not there. Right. You know, you, you get over that with a person. It's very hard with a pet. It just really is. It's, it's a curious thing, this comparison between loving a human or being loved by one and loving a dog or a cat and being loved by one. Because I still yeah. say we are projecting onto the cat or dog yes, all this love back at us. And that's not a bad thing because it feels good to us and it doesn't harm the pet. But, you know, that's some right. cats and dogs are more loving or lovable. I've had horses that's right. that were devastated right. when we complete... separated. You know, I mean, I was, I'd, but then they yeah. were, they were winning. They were acting like they were in the, in the book Black Beauty. I was like, oh my God, this is freaking me out how deep this <laughs> connection is. And sometimes it's two-way. But with other animals, it isn't so much two-way. But no, they, but they accept not. accept the amount of love we want to give them, and we want to give them a lot because it feels good. And when else are we able oh, to do that? Book. You can't do it with your it's children it's, or your mother or father no. because you're going to get it. No. You know, you spit in the eye. You know, t- no, if not exactly. today, tomorrow. The the other thing that's different about pet grief, um, and that love is that. We don't make life and death decisions for people. So right. we don't, you know, euthanasia is not part of the, the vocabulary for a dying human. So this decision that people have to make or often have to make right. is just fraught with conflict. It, am I doing, you know, am I doing this for me? Am, am I letting her live longer in pain because I can't let her go? Am I cutting this darling being's life short because I can't afford it. Right. I can't afford right. chemo. Mm-hmm. So there's that whole piece that's added. So we've got shame in this, shame that that the that our love is kind of belittled a bit by the culture. It's like, come on, right. get over it. Right. That. But also that that we had to make a decision that we then feel guilty about often. Very often. Or, or need hear that, you know, did, did, did we do this right? Did, sh- should we? And then there's, you know, then there's the added piece. Does the whole family agree? Are we agreeing on the right time at the same time? Does the vet agree? Does the vet tech agree? Are we, so there's, there are all these layers of, of, of real emotional naughtiness, K-N-O-T-D. Um, that that we don't often have with people, so it's a fascinating and not not simple um, kind of grief to witness and to and to help people through. And as you describe it, it is so multi-layered. There's so many issues at play, and then echoes of the time that you're 
father lingered and died in agony for yes. X amount of time and had too many surgeries and experimental drugs, yes. or your husband did, yes. or and you lost a baby Bible. to a miscarriage and you never got to grieve over that because that's not something people are allowed to grieve about either, for example. Right. So that's there's right. all this pent up emotion around love and death, you know, the Thanatos, the Absolutely. Eros thing. So it's like, wow, it is so complicated. And here are people going into it and coming out of it with no tools, no history of having dealt with it, right. no knowledge. No, They don't have any of the skills. That's why having a professional gives you some tools to manage these complex and, as you say, naughty and, and not trivial, multi-layered and, emotions. And- and shocking because really, you you know, as you say, we pour love on these creatures, whether they whether they like it or not. Yep. And, but we're not, but as you say, the projection part of it, we're not prepared for the feeling of loss of the love we gave. That's right. I mean, my dog Luna thinks I'm kind of great, but not so great. Not as great <laughs> as I think she is, and and I find. I watch myself. I think I am overwhelming this creature, you know, with 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 a love that she's like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> um, so it's really, it's a real, it's a tough one, and and I think that grief isn't given um, enough support anyway in this culture. I really, you know, I we do get a year, and I think that seven days is a, is helpful because you're allowed to be absolutely. A lump, you right, know, inert, right. an, an inert creature, but but after that year, um, your people think it's done, and so I and with with pets, I think people think it's done two weeks later. Yeah, and sometimes, often, by the way, and I'm sure you know this, men suffer more because they are supposed to be strong in the face of of death, of life, of everything. So they're even more shocked. That's a, that that's a really feel. good point. I, I'm i remembering once interview, not interviewing somebody, it's when this show was live or maybe Cat Chat was live and a man called in, middle-aged man, who I believe his dog was a pug. And the dog got sick and the dog had slept with him every night. And he, I think he had a partner and I don't know if it was a female partner or a male partner, the human did. He was not alone yeah. alone. He started to cry during talking about it, and it was so profound for him. Or maybe it was the imminent death of this pug who was ill. After I did the show, and this has never happened to me before, I got off the air and I went and vomited. It was so intensely emotional for me to listen to this man's pain, and there was nothing I could do to help him other than to say, you're entitled to your pain, and I'm sorry for your pain. But it is, and I don't throw up, by the way. It's like I have family credo. We don't throw up even if we get food poisoning. It was that that. intense, you know? Witnessing something so overwhelming and and not being able to you know to say here here are some tums yes I mean, you just, exactly so yeah. i think what you're doing is do really th- valuable what you're doing is wonderful i mean people get to hear this conversation and think oh phew i'm not crazy it doesn't make me feel better instantly but at least i get permission to be okay. this upset for right. as long as i need to or want to but that you're able to offer people this one-on-one help everyone can grow from it I mean, you're going to grow as a psychotherapist and they're going to grow as a human. Absolutely. And be given permission for I, these feelings, all of them. Yes. 
it's 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 amazing and and also it might in time shift the culture a bit because during the pandemic of course you know how many people bonded with their cats and dogs right. and parrots even more during the pandemic i mean and when you see the what what we spend on pets it was like 72 billion in mm-hmm. 2018 god but it is now i think it will start to make us understand that we're deeply, deeply connected to these creatures, whether it's because we're idiots and just want to love (laughs) something that won't push us away, or I don't know, but it's a fact. It's the truth. And and I think we have to really come to terms with that, or we're just going to be leaving people in the lurch when they lose their pets. Well, we've run out of time. We've run out of time, Dalma, but it's been a wonderful conversation. I hope that everyone listening feels differently, feels more fully for both themselves and empathetically for others, and that we can be there for each other, or Dalma Hine can be there for you individually or someone who needs them. There are other pet grief groups, but this is individual counseling. Thank you for being here, Dalma. It was really wonderful to talk to you, and I salute your your career move. Take care. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. This show is supported by Earth Animal, privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, creating holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. This show is also sponsored by the two women who privately own Evermore Pet Food, where they cook dog food from human edible ingredients shipped in frozen pouches directly to people's doors. I am so pleased to meet Iris Berrios. I had heard about Bobby and the Strays a very home-started rescue that has really sustained itself for a long time. And there was Iris, not herself, but her group with the Subaru Loves Pets booth at the auto show. And I thought, this is a great chance to finally meet her. So Bobby and the Strays, Iris, you've been doing this a long time, haven't you? Yes, we have. Um, And I'm really happy to be here with you. I'm great. Um, it's great to meet you because one of your rescues is in Freeport, Long Island. You have started in Queens. I remembered that part. So it's amazing that you've been able to grow and develop. And unfortunately, there's still such a big need for the work that you do. Yes, there is. Um, we did start in Queens and um, we actually started, well, Bobby from Bobby and the Strays. Um, she started in 1998. Wow. She was incorporated. Even though she had started even before then, you know, but she was incorporated in 1998. And she started small in Queens. That's right. Um, and um, we just kept growing and we needed more space. And luckily, um, we wound up being able to get the... Um, Freeport shelter in 2011. Now, when you say lucky to get it, was that shelter already existing and then you took it over to run it? Yes, that shelter was existing. Um, It had become very, um, mm, what's the right word? You're trying to be politically correct. Let me guess. Was it really run down? Because one of of the wine runners that I rescued came from what became Southampton Shelter, which is obviously a show place and a showpiece and mm-hmm. the, the huge donation from in the beginning, one donor made that possible. But when I first 
the the Southampton shelter was in like East something Quag, and it was horrible, Iris. I mean, it was. I don't know. It was like dark and dingy and cement and rusted metal and stinky and really awful. I mean, is that sort well, of, I mean, I'm just saying um, it's gone now, but I mean, a lot of shelters when yes. they don't have the energy of the, both the volunteers and the money and the local energy going into it, they turn into kind of a pit. Yes, that was Freeport plus um, it was a kill shelter. Wow. And that was the you know that was the worst part of it. It was a kill shelter. Well, let me just um, explain to people, although this topic comes up a lot, a kill shelter sounds harsh, but that's the reality for most municipal shelters, usually in places with m- a much bigger population of people and animals than Freeport. But what mm-hmm. it basically means, and to those of you who are no kill shelters, meaning. The animals you take in will never be euthanized for space or maybe even for health reasons. But those are the reasons that shelters euthanize pets. There aren't enough rooms in the inn for the ones who come in. So the ones that are least likely to be adopted have to be put to sleep because otherwise there's no room for the ones who are adoptable. So that's fantastic that you took over a, a, a public shelter and made it with your with your stamp, which is to save them them all as much as you can. Yes. Another reason why they're, you know, they do the euthanasia is um, a lot of places either cannot, do not have the funds or do will not raise the funds for the medical treatments that are necessary. So even if an animal has a certain medical issue that can be treated, if it's too expensive, for sure, many will choose to just you know use well, the let's let's just, let's just be clear. I mean, it's really important to me to make this clarification. I understand that smaller private nonprofit rescues have very strong negative opinions about municipal shelters that euthanize for space or or finances. But it's not that they choose not to. They're employees of a municipality. They don't have right. the time to go make a GoFundMe page or a Facebook page. I really – it's important to me to distinguish for people that if there's a a municipal shelter, whether it's in Mississippi or New York City or Queens or Freeport, Long Island, these are county employees, county, state, city, whatever it may be, town employees – they're there to do the best they can by the animals, and they're not loving putting them to sleep. It's not like they get any right. satisfaction. It's very frustrating, right. depressing, disturbing. You know, oh, my God, this dog has or cat has a broken leg, but otherwise seems mm-hmm. sweet and healthy and maybe even young. But it costs $4,000. It's not nothing, right? Yes. Yes. And you guys raise yes. the money for these animals, no matter what their needs are. Yes, we do. And as a matter of fact... Um, um, when we took over the Freeport shelter, um, we kept some of the workers that were there. Okay. Oh, I mean, good they for were you. Good there. for you. Good. They were working there. You know, they were doing what they were doing. They, it's not that they wanted to do it. That's right. So, I mean, that's we great that you kept them. them. That's great. You know, um, but, you know, our, our, the way we do things is, I mean, we, we try to, rescue the the animals that are in the most need, you know, the animals that, that would, 
you know, could be euthanized because of medical issues or because of age, because a lot of seniors, you know, they'll wind up getting euthanized also. That's absolutely Um, right. But this is what we work towards, um, saving them. And, it, it, you know, we'll do whatever we have to do to raise the money. I mean. And you have um, a loyal following. You have people that are devoted to you because they stand behind th- this commitment on your part to each and every oh. animal, which is it must be great. I would think, Iris, for the workers who were there before whose hands were tied, if you will. They had to do mm-hmm. what the regulation said to be able to give all these animals a shot at life and a new home. It's got to be a great feeling for them. It has to, you know, just takes a terrible burden off their back. It's very, very disturbing and depressing to be a worker in a shelter where there isn't the time or the money to show the kind of grace and care and warmth and kindness to the animals that you guys do because you don't know how else to do it because that's who you are, which is, Pretty wonderful. When Bobby and the Strays started, how do you think things were different? Que- did Queens have a lot of free-roaming dogs? Certainly there's always free-roaming cats, but were there even free-roaming mm-hmm. dogs in 1998? Um, they were still, yes. They I were. think there were. Yes, there were still um, free-roaming dogs. Um, and um, we actually, we had two places in Queens. Because we, 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 you know, we had a small place in um, by JFK Airport, right? And and from there, um, we were so lucky that um, when the Atlas Mall opened up, um, they donated a space to us. No kidding. Yes, we have our the, the shelter that is at the Atlas Mall is donated by the mall. Pretty special. So, yes. Yes, it is. I mean, we we're so. I mean, it's it's our supporters are so amazing. You know, coming. I mean, the mall, and then all our supporters. I mean, they're just amazing. They, it, they, well, you've you've created a place for them to be able to come and do good, and do good by animals. I mean, I think that's the incredible thing about nonprofits like yours that are driven by one or two passionate people originally, it allows Mm -hmm. other people to experience that same feeling of being productive, effective, making a change, making a difference, making people happy. You know, I mean, you offer them in a funny sort of way, the volunteers, the fosters, the people giving you money, you offer them another chance like you give the animals another chance, a chance to be good, to be kind. Yes, um Yes. I mean, you know, m- most people, they, they want to help. They do. You know, it and it feels good helping. That's right. You know, it gives, it, it, you know, it, it brings them joy to know that. That's right. They, they help to save a cat or a dog. And um, it's just, I mean, we have, I mean, we have followers that are just like, they've been with us for years and years and years, you know, and Every time that we have a specific need, um, I mean, they just rally and, and you know, they help. We would not be able to do what we do without our supporters. Well, let's talk about social you know? media because in 1998, it was nothing like what it's like now. I mean, there was, there was no such thing as a GoFundMe page in 1998. 
I mean, it seems like 25 years isn't that long ago, but boy, it sure is in terms of the way that technology connects people and brings like-minded people together and lets projects evolve instantly. So how did you, how did you used to do it? Did you make phone calls? Before, yes, um, it was mostly, um, well, doing in-person events getting the word out there, um, connecting with even, you know, um, pet stores to, to do not pets. I don't mean pet stores that sell animals. I no, mean, no, right. Pet stores that sell I goods. Mean, sure. Right. Um, you know, connecting with them to be able to make, um, adoption events at their stores. Um, just, um, sending out mail, which is, you know, so much harder than just sending out an e- email blast. Absolutely. Um, I mean, just reaching out, you know, it, it was much tougher than it is now. I mean, now, you know, um, it's so much easier. That's that's really what I'm getting at. Now you you find this, you know, dog run over by a car type of thing, and you put up the picture and you say, here's what Casey needs. He needs yes. to have his spleen removed and his leg set and and the money pours in because they love yes. you and they know that every nickel is going to go to that. And you probably have fantastic vets who give you discounts and work with you. It's quite extraordinary. These instant, instant, instant connectivity that allows that to happen. But there aren't free roaming dogs in Queens anymore. And there's fewer and fewer, not just strays, but abandoned animals or relinquished animals than there used to be. So why do you think you're still so busy and even have, well, you don't have two shelters. You have your own personal rescue. And then you took over a a town shelter, which is an extraordinary other job because you probably have to deal with some political aspect of that. But why do you think yeah. you're still busy? Well, I think um, I think the biggest reason um, I think is awareness of spaying and neutering, which we have a program um, um, to educate people as far as spaying and neutering. Right. You know, um, but I think that that is the biggest reason. Um, there's a, a lot of people in, are not educated as far as, you know, what happens when if you don't spay your dog or or, or neuter your dog or your cats, you know. Um, the population, it just keeps growing and growing. And, I mean, now, especially with COVID, you know, people are struggling a little bit also. Um, so I think that's the biggest problem is awareness. In other words, uh, you think that's why there are still animals for adoption because of strays? Because so many rescues are importing loads of animals, whether they're litters of puppies or grown dogs from the south. Oh, um, yeah, that, that's a whole other story. I know. It is I a mean, whole other story. That's, 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 I know. And, yes. and, and mixed feelings about that. I mean, because yes. if you are a rescue in a certain location, in a certain geography, sort of logic tells you, but you should focus on your own area, right? And help those animals. But it's it's complicated and we don't need to go off in the weeds about that. But what's interesting is that even with spay and neuter being now much more, call it accessible or call it more, people are more aware than they were in 1998, you still have an uphill battle in that. But 
Why are there still dogs and cats coming through your door? Do you think it's really just people? Oh. It's, it's the cycle of life where people get poor, people get old, people get sick, people get tired of animals that, that have too many demands for their lifestyle and they, they give up on them? You think that's just you know, always going to uh, be that way? It's it's all of those. Um, there's always um, the people that do, you know, they have a pet and all of a sudden they lost their job. They sure. can't afford it. That's right. You know, they have to give up the animal. Um, there's There are the people that um, they have a pet and they have to move. You know, they rent, right. they have to move. That's the right. landlord does not allow animals. Yep. And they have to give up the animal. Um, but then we have those other cases that they really just, um, uh, there are the other cases where people get a pet and for whatever reason it may be, they decide they don't care about the pet anymore, you know. So and there, there are, are both those, sides of it. There's either absolute need to find another home or kind of yes. a shrug, oh, well, this isn't what I had in mind. It is It yes. is complicated because you'd think things would be, there'd be so many fewer animals for you and you'd have to do events other than adoptions or fixing up broken animals. But that will go on. I guess it's part of the cycle of human life that whether it's an old person that goes into a nursing home or the or the or the situations that you talked about, where simply economically or practically they can't keep the pet and they're heartbroken, but that's yeah. why having Bobby and the Strays makes a huge difference. Iris, we've run out of time, but I, it's just wonderful to meet you. Wonderful to it know this so great, to great work you've you. been doing for twenty five years. It's terrific, and I'm sorry that you still have to be doing it in a way, but you've obviously learned to do it very, very well mm -hmm. and grown with the times. So the town of Freeport, which is a lovely town, darling town, yes. must be very grateful to have such a great shelter now. Thank you for being here, Iris, and thank you and all of your supporters for the wonderful work that you do all the time on behalf of the animals. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the guests as much as I did. Kiss your kitties and hug your pooches, and we will talk again next week. Bye for now.